Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today we're having another great episode with not only one, but two guests joining me from Switzerland. And my two guests are Emanuela Pozzan and Umberto Cataneo. Hi, both. Hello. Hello. Both Emanuela and Umberto are joining me from Switzerland today. And we're going to be discussing uh, the work that they've been doing at the ILO on a very special report that was just out at the end of last year called A Quantum Leap for Gender Equality. Uh, but before we do that, let me just introduce you a little bit to the concept and also to our guests today. So in, uh, two, in uh, 1919, uh, the ILO adopted the first conventions on women and work. And now a century later, women are a force in the labor market to be reckoned with, breaking boundaries that no one, at, no one would have thought that is possible. And while we all know that significant advances have been happening for women at work over the past century, there is still a lot of room to grow and there is really no time for complacency. Um, in some cases, closing uh, the gender gaps has stalled, and in some countries it has even been reversed. Uh, but we know that it's in the interest of all of us to progress uh, on the issue of uh, work for women, and it's possible, and that there are a number of measures companies and employers and the public sector and policymakers can do. So uh, the ILO had uh, a work uh, centenary, women at work centenary initiative. Uh, and then they also produced this fantastic report that we're going to be discussing with the two of the three researchers of this uh, report, of this project. So one of my guests is Emanuela Pozzan, as I said, she's a senior gender equality and non-discrimination specialists at the International Labour Organization. She has more than 15 years of experience working in the Middle East, Africa and Asia on gender equality and non-discrimination in the world of work. Um, she is now working at the Gender Equality and Diversity Branch at the ILO headquarters in the capacity of senior gender equality non-discrimination specialists. And she coordinates a portfolio of initiatives in the area of access to work for women, care economy, pay equity, violence and harassment in the world of work. All of them are topics that we uh, cover on the Work Life Hub podcast. And my other guest uh, joining us today is Umberto Cataneo, who's an economist in the Gender Equality, Diversity and ILO AIDS branch of the ILO. Umberto has recently authored uh, or co-authored this report. Um, and also uh, authored the major ILO report on the care economy, care work and care jobs for the future of decent work, which took a comprehensive look at unpaid and paid care work and its relationship with changing world of work. 
Um, so I'm so happy that the both of you could uh, could join me here today for this conversation. So uh, could we start maybe at the beginning, Emanuela, for listeners who are perhaps new to the work of the ILO or who haven't heard so much about it. So may I ask you to explain to listeners about the Women at Work Centenary Initiative, what it is and, and what's the purpose behind it? Uh, sure, and uh, good afternoon to all of you from uh, from Geneva. Um, we are recording this um, session uh, at a time where we are all staying at home due to the COVID uh, crisis. Um, but I'm glad to share with you the work that we have been doing and the importance of uh, making sure that everybody knows about this work. So the International Labour Organization, ILO, has been around uh, for more than 100 years. Uh, it's part of the United Nations and it's the agency that is mandated at global level to look after issues related to the world of work, uh, the rights of workers, employers, and we work in a tripartite manner, meaning that we consult, we utilize the beautiful tool of social dialogue to come up with um, international labor standards that are there to make sure that the world of work benefit everybody. Um, so within this context, a few years back, we have uh, initiated um, what we have launched uh, an initiative that was called the Women at Work Centenary Initiative. And it started in 2013 and it was, um, it, it, it accompanied us until the centenary that was celebrated last year in uh, 2019. So what was this initiative about? It was really about what Agnes was just talking, uh, mentioning, meaning the fact that we do not see enough progress happening in the context of gender equality in the world of work. We have more women that have entered the labor force. We have more women that um, um, <clears throat> are progressing uh, in their careers, but yet we see a very uh, stubborn uh, gender gaps, and my colleague Umberto will elaborate on those gaps. So what was the Women at Work Centenary Initiative really talking about? It was looking at some of the key structural barriers that are still impeding women to preparing for entering, uh, remaining, exiting and coming back and progressing in the world of work. Uh, one of these patterns that we constantly see has to do with discrimination, um, this persistent stereotypes that penalize women and undermine access to decent work. Uh, another area, another uh, pattern is the fact that women still are paid less than men and the difficulties in implementing laws and approaches that are very much geared towards reducing the gender pay gap. The third path is very much about recognizing um, the unequal distribution and undervaluation of unpaid care work. And Umberto will elaborate on that. And the last one that is certainly jeopardizing the opportunities of a lot of women and men 
to to be in a, in a world of work that is free from violence and harassment is exactly uh, the overall uh, work around violence and harassment in the world of work. So this is very much what uh, the, the, the what the Women at Work initiative has unpacked from a point of view of research coming out with groundbreaking research on um, key barriers, on attitudes, on interests, perceptions, and all of that is very much captured in, uh, um, in, in, uh, in a global survey that the ILO has done together with the Gallup. Uh, and um, and that was was produced was published in 2016, where we see where we have unpacked a lot of information about what women and men want in the world of work and why they can't get it. So that's that's an area of work that we have uh, uh, that is very much part at the core of uh, the Women at Work Centenary Initiative. We have also unpacked uh, the biggest conundrum on uh, uh, paid and unpaid care work. That is certainly one of the reasons that uh, many women and men consider a big impediment to uh, progressing, entering and progressing in the world of work. We have constantly looked at equal pay for work of equal value, promoting uh, a new coalition which is uh, called the Equal Pay International Coalition, EPIC. We have a full website on that, and we welcome uh, states, governments, employers' organizations, private companies, workers' organizations, civil society, NGOs, media. We welcome them all to become an active EPIC member and promote equal pay for work of equal value. And then lastly, in this, uh, in, this in the um, Women at Work initiative, we've very much worked on violence and harassment in the world of work. And uh, as we will discuss a little bit later, the ILO last year uh, proclaimed, adopted a new international labor standard, the last global treaty, the international treaty, and the only treaty that very much focuses on violence and harassment in the world of work. So this is in a nutshell what the Women at Work initiative is about. It's an initiative that continues, but we are currently designing the new phase and uh, trying to see exactly uh, what this new phase will look like, building on all the research and work on the ground that we have been doing. Thank you very much for for sharing all of this and explaining it really so succinctly. Um, of course, I couldn't help but think about the fact that we're now, uh, you know, in the midst of uh, uh, school closures in a number of countries where all of a sudden the uh, unequal distribution of, of care work and paid work becomes even more accentuated by the fact that, you know, uh, mainly mothers and women will have to uh, stay at home with the children or continue homeschooling them uh, while while maybe the men uh, go to work or go uh, and isolate themselves in a room somewhere in the house to work, um, as I've been witnessing around me in the past uh, past couple of days. So um, the the work that you've been doing, that you and your colleagues have been doing on this uh, initiative, has then culminated in the report, A Quantum Leap for Gender Equality, which 
I have been so impressed with and, and really would recommend to everybody to, to have a look at because it's a great uh, structured catalogization of all the key issues that you have just uh, walked us through, uh, Emanuela. So why did you choose this as a title, A Quantum Leap for Gender Equality? So a quantum leap, which is a title that is not very easy to translate in many languages. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's an idea that came out probably at three in the morning where we, when we were all exhausted, but still trying to come up with ideas. And the reason why we decided to call it a quantum leap for gender equality is really to send out a clear message, an impactful message of what we need is a giant leap. We need to accelerate. We need to understand the sense of urgency that we have in closing the gender uh, gaps in employment and, of course, beyond employment. So this is where this is why we called it a quantum leap. Um, it was very much the, the, the idea of, uh, of using a scientific term uh, of, uh, of, uh, of a process that happens uh, in the space and, uh, and uh, is about particles that rapidly accelerate and replicate and duplicate, uh, really to say that we all need to work on gender equality, we need to act uh, quickly, fastly, promptly act together uh, to promote the transformations that are needed and that we all know about. Because the truth is that we know very well what the solutions are. We still might, we might still need to uh, experiment and, uh, and see what works and what doesn't work. In some countries, certain policies work. In other countries, don't work. But yet solutions are available and, uh, and uh, certainly this is what we meant. We need a quantum leap, otherwise we will not be able to reach the Sustainable Development Goals uh, 2030 and in particular the Sustainable Development Goals number five on gender equality and number eight on, uh, um, on decent work together also with all the other sustainable development goals because gender equality is part and parcel of an overall development agenda. Well, thank you so much for for this great explanation and and I'm excited now that we're going to go and and discuss a little bit more in detail uh, the research and your findings and then the recommendations. So turning to you, Umberto, the, the, the report is cataloging at the beginning the, the gender gaps that are still uh, persisting, um, that we need to close urgently. So if I could maybe just ask you to, to take out three of them that you would find important. Uh, of course, none of them is more important than the other, but, but the three of them where, where you think that we need to take urgent action uh, and also that we need to close uh, which three would you would you maybe highlight? 
Yes. Uh, so um, let me start with the with the first gender gap that I would like to mention, which is the gender gap in employment participation. And uh, Emanuela, I'm very glad that you mentioned the the ILO Gallup survey, uh, which looked at the, the experiences and aspirations of women in the labor market. So the ILO Gallup survey was a survey which is globally representative and found that 70% of women of working age actually declared that they would prefer to be in employment. And the, when the question about women preference on employment was asked to men, 67% of men agreed. So 67% of men wanted women to be in employment. However, when we look at the ILO official data on employment participation for women, we saw that only 45% of women have a job. And this results in a gap of 25 percentage points between the desired employment and the actual employment rate for women. And if we look at, at, at billions of women and men in employment, in 2018, there were 1.3 billion women in employment compared to 2 billion men. So this means that there are 700 million more men in employment than women. And basically the gender gap in employment rates uh, is around 26 percentage points. And what we have seen is that this gap over the past 27 years has just shrunk by less than two percentage points. This is really alarming. But there are, again, now we will, uh, we will the other two gaps that I would like to mention are not related to the access to, to the employment, but actually to those women who are actually able to join employment and the paid workforce. And when we see that when women join the paid workforce, they suffer a penalty in terms of working conditions. In fact, we observe a second gender gap in managerial and leadership positions. Despite that, the, the evidence that shows that um, women in managerial and leadership positions actually um, enable companies to achieve better financial results uh, they, they, and that also more diverse leadership structures can lead to uh, more ideas um, and innovative uh, innovative ideas but Globally, we, we know that 27% of managers and leaders are women. It means that the rest are men, and 27% is a very low share of participation of women in managerial and leadership positions. And again, as for the gender gap in employment participation, we have looked at the evolution over the past 20 years of this gender gap in participation in managerial and leadership positions, and we have seen that has changed very little. It's just fluctuated a bit and really stayed stable around 27% of managers and leaders who are women, which is uh, uh, really um, alarming and action should be really promptly taken. Then uh, there is another, another um, gender gap in uh, um, working conditions for women, which uh, refers to in participation in informal jobs. Uh, well, uh, when uh, the ILO has carried out uh, a, a deep research on uh, the informal economy, and they've seen that globally uh, the share of informal uh, workers is uh, higher among men than women. Uh, but when we look at uh, um, develop, developing countries, uh, especially um, uh, sub-Saharan African countries, we have seen that uh, uh, women are more exposed uh, than men to informal work. Um, so we have seen that uh, in, uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa, um, 
uh, women are, are uh, basically we have seen that 90% uh, of sub-Saharan African countries have more women than men in, uh, informal, in, informal, in the informal economy and also that 89% of countries in Southern Asia uh, have more women than men in the informal economy. So um, when we look at the informal economy, it's also important to unpack uh, all the other um, intersectionality that can uh, uh, intersectional discrimination that can occur in the labor market and a new uh, ILO report uh, on indigenous and tribal people has shown that uh, informality rates are much higher among indigenous and tribal peoples than among those who, who do not belong to this type of tribes and this report was uh, uh, released in um, was actually released in February 2020 and was uh, for the 30th anniversary of the ILO Convention number 169 on Indigenous uh, and, tribal, and Tribal People. So maybe just for the benefit of listeners, uh, could you give a few examples of what you mean by informal economy and uh, you know why, why is that a problem that you mentioned this really high number of 90% of women are participating on the informal economy? Yes, so the informal economy um, is basically um, when there is no formal uh, contractual arrangement between the employees and the employer. Uh, and what does it mean? It means that uh, um, basically there will be no social protection contribution from the from the employers and this will lead to um, women working very late in their stage of their life because they will not have a pension but there are also other risks uh, that are coming with the informal economy in many in many occasions informal economy means uh, no maternity protection for women so it means that uh, uh, when women are pregnant they will work until the very the very late stage of their pregnancy putting at risk their health and their health and the health of their children thank you um so uh, moving on um, a little bit from the, the, the gender gaps and the challenges um, in terms of you know, trying to find some of the solutions. So we, we know that there are a lot of initiatives that have been going on for a few decades now, both public policies and private employer-led programs. Uh, aiming to closing these gender gaps. However, just as also your report uh, points out, that we're not really getting closer to to achieving the gender parity that, that we would want in the different aspects of life. Um, and one other aspect of this is also that some people are already experiencing this gender fatigue of you know wanting to move on from from you know this conversation because we have been doing already this for a, no, a, lo a long time. So. Uh, what is that we're missing, Umberto? What, what is this? Uh, what is at the heart of the challenge? What is this main blockage that you have maybe uncovered in your in your report that hinders us from from stepping closer to to finding solutions? Yes. Uh, so um, uh, I'm very glad to hear this question. And one of the biggest uh, blocks that we are seeing for achievement of gender equality is caregiving. So we, we have seen, we have, as Emanuela was saying, we have an entire report on the care economy and we forecast to do much more work on the care economy, especially uh, now also on paid care workers because the, the pressure that they're facing with the COVID-19 emergency is huge. But care economy means also unpaid 
aid-care work that is done by everybody in the in the household. And we know that looking after spouses, partner, children, or other family member can also be very rewarding uh, for those who provide this care and also beneficial for those who receive the care. But however, uh, if this task is performed for too many hours per day, unpaid care work can prevent the chances of people with family responsibility to engage and also to progress in employment because uh, if, if it is too much, uh, you cannot progress and achieve maybe a managerial or leadership position or uh, a stable uh, a stable employment contract in in the labor market. So we have we have been um, we have been looking at, at this and this uh, dimension of unpaid care work and we have seen looking at labor force and household surveys that uh, um, for women unpaid care work is the main reason for being outside the labor force and we have seen that across the world there are 606 million women of working age or 22% of those women who are outside the labor force that perform unpaid care work on a full-time basis. And this compared to just 41 million men who are outside the labor force for the same reason. So this is huge. So 606 million women of working age outside the labor force for unpaid care work just compared to 41 million men. And this is a, a huge number that received a lot of attention because it really gives the idea of the discrepancy and on the different impact that unpaid care work has on women and on men. Uh, and basically, this another, another way of looking at this is to look at the time spent that the daily time spent on unpaid care work by women and men. And we have seen that uh, three quarters, namely 76% of the daily time spent in unpaid care work is done by women. And this corresponds to four hours and 25 minutes spent per day by women in unpaid care work compared to just one hour and 23 minutes daily for men in the same activity, so performing unpaid care work. So again, I'm repeating just to give you the idea of the magnitude of this number. So four hours and 25 minutes is a huge amount of time. Imagine an eight hour working day with four hours and 25 minutes of unpaid care work, then you need time for sleep and you need time also for leisure. So it's a huge, it's a huge amount. Amount, while for men just one hour and 23 minutes and what we have seen and what we are also researching now we are moving towards this direction uh, but already explored this dimension in the quantum leap report is that motherhood is associated with the, an even higher burden of unpaid care work and we have seen that um, the, what we call the motherhood employment penalty, which is the difference in employment rates for mothers of young children aged 0 to 5 and for women without that type of children, has increased between 2005 and 2015 by 38%. So this is alarming because it means that mothers very more very often cannot benefit from early childhood care services, from care leave policies, or also from the help of the fathers that are working full-time excessive hours in the labor market, they, they have basically to give up their employment. And what we have also seen is that mothers have a, a penalty not only in accessing employment, but also in earning, in earning uh, wages comparable to women without children. Because we have seen that there is also a motherhood pay gap, and this motherhood pay gap is partially linked with the fact that mothers of young children have the lowest participation rates in managerial and leadership position. And this is a very, really alarming. Why? Well, because this 
these muddled penalties are usually in, in most of the countries, I would say with the, uh, quite safely in the majority of the countries, they are associated with the fatherhood premiums. It means that fathers are usually seen and usually uh, are usually earning better wages than women than men without children and are more likely to participate in managerial and leadership position than men that uh, do not have children. I think now I will I would like to Emanuela to 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 help me in finishing this answer because I think that she has something very important to add on the dimension on the elimination of violence and harassment in the world of work. Yeah, uh, thank you Umberto. So as, uh, as Umberto has highlighted, um, going back to the, the, the big blocks, uh, that structural barriers that are very much compromising uh, the outcomes uh, and performances of, of women in the labor market, besides care and the overall motherhood uh, penalty, um, we also need to look at what I was mentioning before, uh, the plague of violence and harassment in the world of work. I think we are all familiar with the Me Too movement, which is something that has highlighted what many of us have always known uh, and that uh, was never, was always considered a taboo, um, but that has, that has certainly um, impeded a lot of women and men to, uh, to work uh, in an environment that is free from violence and harassment. So very much this concept of uh, that is now accepted globally, that violence and harassment in the world of work is unacceptable and it is a major obstacle to gender equality at work and to decent work for everyone. So violence and harassment is a pervasive phenomenon and it has consequences that affect the individual health dignity, well-being, and the overall functioning of the labor market. Um, so while violence and harassment affects all persons, can affect all persons in the world of work, it has significant gender dimension. And it is for this reason that the, the new International Labor Organization Convention, number 190 on violence and harassment, violence and harassment is particularly important because it really recognizes the, the dimension of, of uh, violence and harassment in the world of work and, uh, and it takes into consideration the fact that the world of work is changing very fast and for this reason the convention also mentions first of all it's very inclusive in the sense that it includes all different types of uh, workers um, and it extends to uh, all the sectors, it extends to the rural and the urban uh, sectors, it extends to uh, formal, informal. I mean, it's a very broad convention that very much covers everybody and um, it establishes for the first time uh, the right of everyone to a world of work free from violence and harassment. And it, it proposes a very inclusive, integrated and gender responsive approach, recognizing that at times women might be more affected than men to violence and harassment. And it has a specific uh, focus on sexual harassment as well. Um, the convention is about preventing violence and harassment in the world of work, and it is about addressing it. 
So I, I encourage you all in your capacities to read the document. It's, uh, it's online. And in your capacities as individuals or as uh, members of organizations, um, to, to see what you can do to promote uh, this convention because we are urging countries to ratify the convention so that countries can start putting in place uh, measures to prevent and address violence and harassment in the world of work. But uh, connecting to this, it's also another form of um, economic um, inequality, uh, discrimination, sorry, that has to do, as I was saying before, with the, with the important gender gap that exists in wages. So while the principle of equal pay for work of equal value is well recognized in uh, international legislation, uh, many countries are still struggling to actually make it a reality for women. And in fact, it is one of the biggest robberies in the world because if we consider that uh, women earn 20% less than men globally, I mean, I, I think you can easily make calculations of the fact that we're talking of a lot of money. And um, so for this reason, we really need to address equal pay for work of equal value. It can be done on an individual basis, we need to change the way we negotiate. We need to make sure that we are well informed on salaries, on the way salaries are calculated. And then there needs to be a whole set of tools and measures that are put in place at government level, at the level of uh, collective bargaining, at the level of uh, minimum wages that are very much geared towards ensuring that there is equity, equality and equity in wages. Absolutely. Thank you so much for these clarifications. And, I, and of course, I couldn't agree more. Last year, two years ago, we carried out a research for the European Institute for Gender Equality on the uh, barriers for women's participation in IT sector jobs. And it really combines a little bit the two points that you that you just made, Emanuela, because on the one hand, if women could access jobs uh, in the ICT sector, these are, we know, well-paying jobs, good quality jobs that could significantly uh, increase their earning capacity and, and support their livelihoods and investment uh, they do then in their children. But one of the biggest obstacles was that women are reluctant to enter this uh, very male-dominated sector, mainly because of uh, harassment and uh, violence, but definitely because of the bro culture. And, and I think that when you uh, talk about harassment and violence at work, there are also off it includes all forms of harassment and violence and it also includes bullying and intimidation and and uh, sar sarcastic comments and, and, and belittling. A lot of the things that are very difficult to, you know, it's not somebody that just hits you in the face at work, right? It's, it's very subtle ways in which women are either discouraged from entering or, or pushed out from these sectors. 
So uh, going uh, forward, um, I would like to turn now again to you, Umberto. Uh, when you were carrying out the research uh, and, and then writing the publication, did you encounter uh, something that you weren't expecting that was like a special aha moment? Because both of you have been researching these issues now for a number of years. I know you both uh, distinguished experts in the field. And I just wondered whether, you know, in this field of research, you, you found something that you thought, okay, here's a new angle. Here's something that worked. Here's something that we could multiply. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Yes, thank you very much for the distinguished expert, and uh, I'm very happy to take this question. So, um, basically, one of the um, one one of the the, the aspects that we were analyzing was the time that uh, women and men take to reach a managerial leadership position, and because was like we wanted to see what was impeding women to reach managerial leadership position because we have seen that just 27% of managers and leaders in the world are women so it means that 73% are are men so what we have seen when we were looking at the time it was taking for women to reach a managerial leadership position we saw that those who make it they are actually there one year faster than men and this was quite surprising uh, because uh, actually we were expecting that uh, women were getting at the same speed or maybe because of family responsibility, they were getting to a managerial leadership position at a lower pace than men. But actually we were we were we were very, very surprised. Um, and we, we also complemented this finding with some data that we were able to gather from LinkedIn uh, social network. Even if the ILO is a very old animal, 100 years, but we are actually using <laughs> new tools and new social networks ways of analyzing data. Of course, we confirmed this finding with the, the Savior Labor Force and Household Surveys, which are the historical data collection tool that is used in the house, but we wanted to complement with LinkedIn data because there is a possibility to really see the CVs of, uh, of uh, women and men. So uh, also LinkedIn data confirmed that finding that actually women are faster in reaching managerial and leadership position and this this speed is actually uh, is actually higher in uh, low income countries as we have found that uh, women managers in low income countries are six years younger than men and uh, also um, we have the we have the, the number for middle income countries which is one 1.3 years younger and in high income countries women managers are 1.7 years younger than men so one would ask why i mean why this is the case this is, was the first question we had when we saw this discrepancy uh, uh, so this was really the the first question so we said we thought to ourselves well yeah yes let's look at uh, at the education so of of managers so let's look at what are actually the qualifications of these managers? And what we saw is that actually women managers have uh, are more likely to be to have received an advanced university degree than men managers. So actually, 44% of women managers have an advanced university degree compared to 38% of men managers. So one of the potential explanation is that uh, there are barriers 
due to unpaid work and all the challenges that uh, me and Emanuela have just explained, but those who actually make it are better educated and uh, have great and, and have better qualification than men. So really these barriers needs really to be removed because um, women have all the credential to achieve the same share of managerial posts than men. Great. Uh, and and uh, do you see, uh, one of my questions was, um, have you seen um, a difference within the generations? Uh, because, of course, I cannot be, but be hopeful that younger generations are much more inclined to uh, living more gender equal values, both in terms of at the household level where younger or new fathers may be more involved in the care of the children, but also younger women being perhaps more uh, advanced in their careers or have more opportunities or better at negotiating, whatever it takes to 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 get into a good job and, and advance. Uh, so do you see a generational difference? Uh, yeah, this is a very good question. Actually, this is an aspect that we looked at uh, and uh, we were able to do that thanks to, to LinkedIn data. And uh, we were looked at the leaders and managers that became uh, leaders and managers five years ago, 10 years ago and 15 years ago. And actually the trend was uh, was not did not vary. So it was actually uh, the same. The, the pace was really was really faster for women for those who make it than, than for men. Um, one, I think, um, one of the reasons is that the, the, the gender gaps in, in education have closed in many countries. Um, it's true that uh, in maybe in sub-Saharan Africa there are still uh, issues around that and also among specific, uh, for instance, for indigenous and tribal peoples, educational achievement are still, women, women, indigenous women are still lagging behind. But when we look at the, the global picture, uh, the gender gaps in education uh, tends to be, to, to be almost closed. But still, uh, when we translate this in, in the labor market, when women have to supply their credential in the labor market, the price that this credential has for women is different than the price that men are able to get. And this is also uh, part of an analysis that uh, um, also Manuela is doing on, the, on, on pay equity and see actually how if we assume that the same credential of a man uh, are held by a woman, how the man gets a better reward for the, for, uh, for the same credential. This is uh, really worrying, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So before we uh, move to the last question, uh, may I ask you to tell listeners uh, where they can find this report or how they can find the report and the work that you're doing? Mm, yes, so the report uh, is available on, uh, you just type ILO quantum leap report in Google and you will find the report. Or you can go on the ILO website on the publication uh, on the publication uh, section and the report will be available. Or on the ILO website, uh, um, there is topics uh, section and gender equality. Or if our emails will be included in the podcast, you can send either to me or to Emanuela an email and we will be happy to share with you the link of the report. Thank you very much. So, uh, Emanuela, now turning to you for uh, the last question. If I could 
uh, ask you to give one advice to policymakers who are perhaps listening to the podcast and who say, I am awake now and I want to make an impact uh, in my organization or in my country, in my region. What would you highlight to them uh, on the basis of the report? What is it that they need to take urgent action on? Uh, thank you for this question. I I think by now we, we are all very aware that what we need is an ecosystem uh, that works for everybody and an ecosystem that um, fights against discrimination and that really pursue uh, genuine equality um, and equity. And um, in the case of specifically in the case of gender equality. Um, and when we talk about gender equality, yes, we're talking about women and men, but we can go beyond that and we can move away from, uh, from the binary definition as well and, you know, uh, be more inclusive in the way we interpret um, gender equality. Um, we know very well that there are some areas of work that, need to be prioritized so that um, all the through policies and through action so that uh, these areas of work come together because what we need is a systemic change we need uh, to change the power structure um, and we need to promote a path of rights that should ensure a future of work for women and men with equal opportunities, a future of work that is free from discrimination, free from violence and harassment, free, free from uh, discrimination at all different levels, including in wages, and a future of work where the work done by women is recognized and valued, and where there is an inclusive maternity, paternity, parental leave policies. This is certainly an area that is key to, to ensure equality. Um, it's a path of rights that uh, uh, very much needs to lead towards a transformative agenda. And one of the key elements of this transformative agenda is the path to accessing infrastructures, social protection and public care services. What we need is investments uh, doubling the investments on care infrastructures and services and care workers. Uh, for this, we also, we for sure need to work at macro level. We need to create this fiscal space that is, that can allow governments, countries to make those investments in care provision services and infrastructures. We also need to continue investing on, uh, um, on training, um, on helping women and men in transitioning, constantly transitioning uh, through um, the promotion of lifelong learning. We know very well that the world of work is changing and the only way to stay in the world of work is actually to continue learning and relearning. So a lifelong learning approach is very important. You have mentioned, Agnes, uh, um, um, the, the, the emphasis on having more women in uh, what is called STEM, 
And now I see that we also have a new acronym, the STEAM, so including also arts, besides the technology, science, uh, um, education, mathematics, also arts. Uh, certainly very important, but as you said, if we then don't create a world of work that is welcoming women, and that instead of trying to fix women to adapt to that world of work, actually changes the world of work to make the world of work adapting to the needs of women and men, and also the, the needs of men are changing. So we should really, you know, reconsider, rethink, reorganize, rearrange the world of work. And finally, um, what is also extremely important is uh, the, the constant need to, to have women's voices uh, involved in these changes, in these systemic changes that we, we are asking for. So the representation of women, we know very well that uh, women are still very poorly represented in, uh, in policy dialogue, uh, in decision-making uh, avenues, and this is certainly an area that requires as well uh, breaking the stereotypes while also allowing women to find the time because over, all over the world, women suffer from time poverty. And, and when you have very little time, it's hard to dedicate this time to you know, being in politics or being uh, negotiating uh, collective bargaining agreements between workers and employers. So, we really need to rethink uh, and adjust uh, towards something that needs to change. Thank you so much, uh, Emanuela, for um, giving this very comprehensive overview of the things that need to change. And, and I take away a number of things from what you just said, um, but definitely the, the call for creating a welcoming world of work and uh, perhaps if nothing else good comes out of this uh, coronavirus situation, then maybe it will push more employers uh, over to thinking that flexible working and care services are uh, the way forward, at least uh, this. So thank you very much to both of you, to Emanuela and Umberto for your participation in this podcast conversation and for sharing so generously your insight and, and research into this, uh, this uh, specific aspect of the world of work. And I wish you really the best of success with all your future uh, research projects. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Agnes. It was a great opportunity. Thank you.